Welcome to another very, very special episode of Normandy FM. As always, I am Eric Van Allen alongside my co-host, co-pilot, co-in-everything in life, Kenneth Shepard. How are well, you doing this just, week, Ken? We just took our relationship to a whole new level, right on the air. I mean, you've cried on me at a PlayStation press conference before. That's I don't fair. think there's a higher level than that. <laughs> that doesn't get any higher. Um... Joining us this week is the one, the only, Cassidy Moser from IGN. How are you doing this week, Cass? I'm doing A-OK. Thanks for having me, guys. We are so excited to have you on. Uh, when we were doing our, our guest list and looking for people to reach out to and talk to, you were definitely on the short list as someone that we knew was Mass Effect adjacent. Um Compliance? I don't, you enjoy Mass Effect. I do enjoy Mass Effect. <laughs> I'll take any one of those adjectives. Totally fine. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about yourself, both like you know who you are, what you do, and then also like how you got into Mass Effect and and why you picked uh, these particular loyalty missions that we have coming up uh, as the ones that you wanted to talk about. Sure. So I was born in 1989. Mm, and, all right. No. Right. Um, yeah. Let me I speed uh, it up a little. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well. Okay. Um, yeah. I uh, I work at IGN, obviously, like you said. Uh, I am a social editor, so I work on the social team. Uh, a big focus of my job is driving referrals back. So that means that I am the one that tweets out links to articles and things. Um, anyway, that's not interesting to anybody. Uh, yeah. In terms <laughs> of my attachment to Mass Effect. I actually Mass Effect holds a very special place in my heart because it's what got me into writing about games in the first place. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, I kind of took a break from playing games like through high school, so it was probably like oh three to oh seven. So I kind of missed out on a lot of stuff through that era, and I I kind of started to get back into it like a year or two after I graduated, and. I that was around the time I think that Mass Effect 2 was coming out and I remember mm. seeing like commercials for it and just being like well that looks fucking crazy I need to at least figure out what's going <laughs> on with that um and so I went and I bought a copy of the original at like a used game shop not far from my house and like as soon as I started playing it I was like oh I forgot what games were like this is really cool <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's, uh, it was just kind of the thing that catapulted me back into it again and and eventually helped me kind of get a career going as a freelance writer. Um, and it's, yeah, it, like, to me, it still holds up as, like, one of the gold standards of how to handle game writing, especially Mass Effect 2, which we're talking about today. Yes, we are. That's an excellent segue. That's way better than the ones that our listeners are used to. You can have that one for free. (laughs) It will not happen again. (laughs) Um, As we yeah. segue naturally in, um, <laughs> let's let's talk about that first uh, companion that you have listed for your loyalty missions because it is one that um, even in in our talks coming up to this podcast, uh, Ken and I have been 
looking forward to a lot is Samara, the Asari Justicar. So, so why Samara? What what sticks out to you about Samara? So I have to ask because I'm from Chicago and I talk like this, I guess. But is it Samara or Samara? The first one. Is it? Okay, because I, I said Samara for the longest time. That's probably just me being Midwestern. But um... <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be proper. I'm trying to, like, use the right elocution and stuff. But really, like, if I'm just sitting here talking, like, the Texan I am, I'd be like, Samara. <laughs> yeah. I really like Mass Effect. <laughs> um, yeah, so Samara, Samara, I'm probably going to call her Samara, and I apologize in advance. I'm a fake fan. Eric makes fake. a joke out of mispronouncing my boyfriend's name so all the time. Oh, okay. so. What, Kai, Kai Dan? Dan. <laughs> He's related well, to Kai Ling. That's how that works. Don't start. <laughs> um, yeah, so Samara. Uh, like, as a character, I... I like Samara a lot. I think she's really interesting, and there's a lot of really cool themes that we can get into with her, but I think one of the main reasons why I chose her loyalty mission to talk about is because I fucking love Omega. It's one of my favorite places mm. in all of Mass Effect Dome, uh, because it's like one of the only true cyberpunk locations that you right. go to, and cyberpunk is is one of my favorite kind of settings or like vibes or aesthetics. Um yeah, I, I think she's cool and she's interesting for a number of reasons. Like, obviously, we don't get a lot of depictions of mothers in games, mm. uh, especially ones that aren't, like, somehow tragic, you know, or, like, kind of end up being shitty. You know, like, God of War is a great game, but, like, the mom in that is dead. Or, mm. <laughs> you know, and that, that happens a lot. Is it's, it's the mom is always, like, dead, or it's some kind of, you know, her, her story, like, motivates the male characters somehow and stuff like that. But... Uh, she's actually kind of an interesting and I think pretty layered depiction of motherhood in that game specifically, um, especially in the context of like her kids having the potential to be evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her whole loyalty mission is just like one of those really weird left field ones that Mass Effect occasionally throws in where it's like, instead of just going and mowing down a bunch of people, you have to go seduce this Asari woman. And it's like, oh... <laughs> Well then. Which Ken was chomping at the bit to do. You let me tell you. His favorite thing to do is be forced to seduce Asari. It's he loves it. <laughs> Can't get enough of that shit. Who among us? Um Yeah, yeah. I think like I, I think the Asari in general are really cool. Like Arya is probably one of my favorite characters in any video mm-hmm. game ever. Mm-hmm. Mostly because she can just she can she can get it she can have it <laughs> she can she's put gonna it take on it. the shelf she can keep it forever yeah she's great um, yeah so I I think that's that's mostly why it's it's a multiple reason I there's I like the setting that it's in I like the structure of the mission and I think the characters are really cool awesome let's jump right into that loyalty mission then so as you said this this whole thing is kind of about um samara and how her children i i believe all of them are ardot yakshi mm-hmm. I, I don't think mm-hmm. she has any non-ardot yakshi children uh but the others are in the monastery but one is still running rampant in the universe and she's been trying to hunt down dear old morinth ever since and um just off the bat like the first note i, I had from even when you start this loyalty mission is uh the camera angles good lord 
the camera like we talked earlier about how in the kasumi mission and, and the miranda stuff the the camera angles get used to like really bad uses where it's like hey look remember that miranda's an attractive lady and stuff like that <laughs> but um here they do like these really dramatic shots framing up shepherd and uh samara and they really use the, the starscape behind them and all that it's it it was the moment here where i was really like wow I remember Mass Effect 1 just kind of being these cardboard cutouts talking to each other and always in the same, like, 180-degree pose from each other, just talking back and forth, and then they'd go into their little pistol squat, and then that would be the fight, and there you go. Yeah. Uh, and this is so much different. It's so much better. And, and I really think this mission starts off strong by having moments like this. It, it makes it clear that it's not, you know, just sort of this filler thing that's going to get you from combat to combat, that the story is what's going to be the focus. Um but... I think that's the strength of a lot of the missions in Mass Effect 2, though, is like, mm-hmm. especially the loyalty missions, just they all feel so unique and, and developed in on their own. It's not just like a slight deviation from what you would normally do. It's everything feels very much like it is designed for a specific purpose. I think that's what makes them really stand out. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a mission where you don't do any fighting. You don't fight hordes of robots or anything like that. This is primarily you are just going in there to seduce. Uh, sorry, God, I forgot that word for like 10 seconds. It just like left my mind and I was like, word, word, word. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there's no combat. Like it's it. it feels strange to like celebrate that but at the same time it feels really cool to have this moment where it's like cool i get to have this mission where i don't have to fight anybody and ken as a fellow um let's say we go back and forth on the combat of this game a lot Mm. um we have experienced the highs and lows I, i definitely wanted your take on this as far as you know how did you feel about having submissions here both with samara and the one we'll talk about later where combat is decidedly not a focus whatsoever I think this is refreshing and sort of sticks to like one of Mass Effect's strengths, which we talked mm-hmm. about probably in, a, in season one about um, Novaria. Like the first half of that mission is like you're not you're not shooting people, you're fighting with your words, and I think that makes these two missions that we're going to talk about like the some of the more memorable ones, just because especially like there were cases like the Jacob loyalty mission where it wasn't doing a lot to make the combat encounters that memorable or different from everything else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what better way to make it different than everything else where every conflict is fixed by shooting at it than just taking that out altogether. And I feel like having dialogue be the determining factor also really plays into how Paragon and Renegade are shaped in this game, which is why I brought it up to you. Because, Ken, I gotta know right off the bat, are you a monster? <laughs> Did you did you do the bad thing again? Are we gonna have another week where you did the bad choice, <laughs> or or did you make the the good choice this time? Could you be more specific? There there's only one choice that happens in this mission, and you know darn well what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I did not make the the that choice because I mm-hmm. literally can't fathom a choice in any Bioware game that is more stupid than that one. Okay, okay. I just I just wanted to get that out of the way, but All right. leading leading into it. So, we have to go into this this bar on Omega um and and oh, do a bunch of Oh. 
Oh, we gotta talk right. about the actual. Yeah. Thank you. That's 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 why you're my co-pilot. This is yep, why you're here to you guide me in all things. We do gotta talk about Neff because this was the part of the mission that really stuck out to me, um, and I'm mad, retroactively mad at myself for almost skipping over it um, because so for for Cass and any listeners who are tuning in that may not already know. Every time I've played Mass Effect in the past, I've done multiple playthroughs of it, but I've always played as Dude Shep. I've always played as the Guy Shep. And this time I was like, okay, I'm doing it for the podcast. I need to have a different framing. I want to try and change things up. Finally going to play through as a Lady Shepherd and see what it's like from her perspective. And this mission specifically, like this exact mission, was the one where I was like, wow, Mass Effect is a completely different game playing from, like, just with this different framing device. Because um, as as we're going through this, to track down Morinth, you have to go uh, find someone who is kind of the last, uh, her last target on Omega. And so you go to find this girl and find her mother and find out what happened to her. And you go through this whole process of looking at all these diary entries and talking to the mom and seeing how Morinth gradually lured her in and made her dependent on her and it's this really really heart-wrenching um story that really like just pounded my heart into my cold dead heart to tiny little pieces and um i just immediately i was like wow having a female shepherd be the the person who is in the room for all this instead of a dude ship just kind of hanging out like so what's my part come in what do i gotta go seduce the the asari i, I that's what i'm here for <laughs> like having <laughs> it just felt like the framing of it felt more naturally empathetic it felt just more natural and a lot more emotional because of it and also like um jennifer hale does an incredible job uh on the voice acting and and here she she definitely uh excels but as far as the Neff stuff goes, uh, when, when we dropped our notes in, I I dropped mine in, and then I scrolled up to look at yours, Ken, and so um, we will address this, but I want to hear Cass's take first on all this about Neff and the mother and, and how this all kind of relates to Samara's own uh, issues that she, do, that, uh, she deals with with Morinth. Yeah, so I mean, I don't remember all of the specifics of this mission. I do remember this when you were kind of reading through and learning about how there was a lot of like emotional abuse and manipulation going on. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's done really well and it does kind of, they, they do a good job of kind of tweaking how much you hate or love Morinth like as you go. Cause it's, well, there's a I'm so here. sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> Poe has Makes recently us... been speaking up on the podcast in support of characters. Last week, it, every time we talked about something good about Miranda, you'd hear Poe in the background be like, Meow. <laughs> he, has, he has thoughts. <laughs> Get him on mic, ask him. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those lines to walk because like on the one hand, like I agree. Oh, I'm gonna put you in the other room. <laughs> um, like emotional abuse is a is a tricky one because nobody really gets out of that cleanly in the sense that like emotional abusers a lot of the time don't even realize that they're doing it. Um so if you look at it from the lens of like 
you know, Lawrence is very obviously like forcing this girl to be dependent solely on her, which is like mm. emotional abuse 101. Um, it, it speaks to me that there's probably something missing from her own core central person that makes her feel like she has to have someone dependent on her in order to have value. So from there, I think you can kind of see, especially knowing like Samara and like their relationship, how a fractured kind of view and relationship between those two could influence her and cause her to be somebody that would utilize manipulation on that level. Which, you know, not to be like, oh, we should be sympathetic toward abusers because, like, fuck that. But mm. it does give you an added layer of kind of understanding. And I think it also kind of gives a little bit more context to why she does the things that she does. It's also weird, too, when you, you consider the fact that, like, all of them were, um, it's Arda, Arda Yakshi, is that how you say it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's almost like it was predetermined that they were going to be evil. And so, like, mm. that kind of adds a weird layer, too, where it's like if somebody tells you that you're going to be an evil person, like, how would that influence your actions going forward? Right. You know, There's, like, like, even, yeah, yeah, like, I was just going to say there was, um, there's even a line after the mission where Samara talked about, like, how, despite everything that happened, she's so proud of Morant for, like, standing up for herself and running off as she did just because it was her like not letting you know the societal pressures of who she's been told that she is define her even though she did fall into that path yeah yeah it makes you wonder like if somebody sits and tells you like you're a terrible person like you're gonna just do awful things and you won't even be able to control it like mm. how would that cause you to kind of splinter off as you grow up right Ken, I'm, yeah. I'm interested to, to hear some of what... Uh, sorry, Cass, I didn't want to no, interrupt no. the thought there. No, you're good. Um, you, you bring up uh, something that I had not thought of ever, that this is a... Um, that Def's whole situation with uh, learning, you know, with gradually falling for Morinth could also be interpreted as like a, um, like a sexual discovery, like discovering your sexuality right. and stuff like that. Um, and I never thought of it that way. And when I read that, I was like, oh, dang, <laughs> I never yeah. thought that that was a, so I, I want to hear you expand on that a little bit. So yeah, that was sort of like, that's always sort of been my takeaway from this, or at least this sort of like part of the mission that Neff sort of talks about more in a way that she's like, it's almost like as she's speaking, she's realizing her feelings like as it's going on. And whether that's towards women or like women coded species or just aliens in general I don't really think the specifics of what it is is really the part that gets to me it's more that um because like because sorry our female coded like you know Bioware will tell you one thing even despite the fact that the game says another thing um <laughs> like when the only representation that Mass Effect 2 specifically has of queer relationships is Kelly fucking Chambers and then this <laughs> so it's like I don't know that, like, you could have sold this story with a male character in Neff's place, because, like, they sort of, they were, like, even as early as, like, early conversations with Liara, they're, like, talking about how, like, oh, human men are totally into a sorry, like, as mm. as Eric eloquently, but look at all the blue ladies! <laughs> so, I don't know that they could have, like, sold the sympathy there with a male character, but it's also just, like, and I don't think that, like, queer characters should have like 
like should be this these pristine perfect beings and like they shouldn't have these darker sometimes awful stories but like when Mass Effect 2 was already established that it views queer relationships as sort of like a toss away thing it makes more its predatory nature feel even like even worse to me yeah yeah that's actually like that's an interesting point too um like a, a lot of the issues when it comes to like queer rep in in and I mean, this kind of goes back to the thing of, like, we need more of it because the bad stuff sticks out more because we don't right. have enough good stuff to lean back onto. Mm-hmm. But it's actually pretty common in queer representation and in, like, lesbian-specific stuff mm-hmm. to have kind of predatory reading relationships. Right. Um, and it gets into a weird place where it's like, oh, here's an older woman going after a younger woman who's discovering her sexuality, and it's like, mm. oh, there's some hairy ethics going on here. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's an excellent point, and it would also kind of lead you to a very vulnerable place where, and obviously we don't know necessarily the context of the Mass Effect universe, like whether or not queer relationships are totally cool and like it's all kosher, um, mm. or if it's you know kind of a controversial thing like it is in ours stupidly mm. um but you know if it if the latter is the case then like being knowing that you are part of a fringe identity and having your first experience with that will kind of leave you in a vulnerable position where maybe mm. you would be more open to emotional manipulation right specifically if it's someone who's like hey i know what you're going through and mm. i can help you it, it really does kind of put you in a weird spot Right. I, I think they talk a little bit about that going into all the stuff with Neff. Uh, Samara starts telling you about how Morin selects her targets, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it goes into a lot of stuff about, oh, she you know, targets artist types, loners, um, and, and you just kind of like gradually build this profile of who Neff was through both that and her, her video diaries, and that definitely plays into everything that that you just said about the the power dynamics and, and things like that so yeah it's, it's it grossly imbalanced yeah it, oh yeah yeah that happens a lot um yeah like absolutely yeah and on the other side of queer representation they fuck it up again because why am i seducing a woman why is this happening <laughs> why do i have to do this your notes always make me laugh, Ken. I love them every time because you like narrate the first person parts. It's always my shepherd's gay ass colon. You want me to do what now? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we we admittedly were not to that point yet where um, you could add in an extra line of dialogue where Samara's just like, oh, I don't know, just pretend <laughs> mm. something like that. Um, then it's just a quirky rom-com. <laughs> That's a regrettably comical tone to this whole mission. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Um, but either way, we gotta get into that club and we gotta seduce the blue lady. So uh, we gotta... This is the part where I was kind of like, wow, they really like added... They were like, we need to make this some gameplay stuff. This can't just be like you walk up to Morinth and say hi and, and do all this stuff. We gotta add some gameplay elements here because... You have to do heroic acts and things like that to attract Morinth. Or just be, like, an asshole, which is what I naturally did. That is what women like. Yeah, women are... (laughs) They really love it. 
When you're actually just a detached asshole. <laughs> Gonna take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm so this is the part where I'm interested, especially in 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 your take, Ken, because you are put in the situation where not only do you have to seduce a character you do not want to seduce, but I don't know what the renegade options through this mission look like that don't mm. result in the bad ending. So Yeah, um, I mean, because that is something to point out. Like, once you get to this point, you're in one of the only points in a loyalty mission that you can fail. Like, mm-hmm. not, not a game over. Like, you just fail to claim this person's loyalty. Yeah. Um, which is, it was, again, like, one of the more interesting things about these two, I believe. Um, so, for me, like, I... Like, you can be heroic, but I was just kind of like... I more just sort of made my presence known in the room as much as possible. Because, like, I walk in, and the second there's this guy, like, crawling up my ass about asking... Like, he's like, oh, this Asari here is really interested in this uh, this band, which you can use that information later in a conversation to, like, sort of mm-hmm. snake your way into where you need to go. So what I ended up doing is I uh, beat up these Turians that were... Um, they were talking about mugging people outside the club and then I got into like a spat with a Krogan and like I used the intimidate options on both of these so I guess like they counted as me like I guess like again asserting my presence in the room so it got more more attention so like yeah it just kind of seems like the renegade path in this is just sort of make your presence known as opposed to necessarily do, necessarily doing good but you, you bring up, and I'm, I'm going to push you on this, don't worry. Um, Great. You bring up in your notes that this is like, we need to talk about the morality system like this episode. And you bring up that um, that the intimidate option tends to shoehorn you into um, doing the thing you're not supposed to do that results in the bad end. Like, not even the, the bad end, but like the bad end, the one that kills the shepherd. Mm. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I... Is it a little frustrating for you that you're you're kind of playing this game with one arm tied behind your back at this at this point because Renegade's forcing you down that path just because it's written that way to be the Renegade you have to like oh what do you mean the blue lady's dangerous I'm fine <laughs> surely it won't affect me <laughs> in the isolated sense of the loyalty mission I don't know that 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 side of it I don't think really comes up but like after the fact if you do decide to make the dumb choice and have more around than it certainly does. Uh, here it's more just like both the, the intimidate and the charm options get you to the same place, but it, like your character's demeanor is a little bit different. Where, uh, where it's, it's more like Paragon Shep is kind of like doing it because it's the right thing to do. Where Renegade Shep is more like, I'm not going to be outwitted or outdone by this monster, essentially. Um, <laughs> I'm the because biggest like, jerk on this. Basi- basically, station. yeah. I'm Commander <laughs> Shepard, and I'm the biggest jerk on the Citadel. So, yeah, like, I didn't necessarily feel from that standpoint that, like, I was shoehorned into a certain uh, role, which was nice because, like, there's a point later where if you don't have, like, if you don't pass the charm and intimidate checks, you are most certainly uh, pushed into a role, which we'll get to when we get to, like, that point. But I mean, um, we can jump right into that now because I mean, all that really happens in the Omega Club is that one way or another you end up going back to Morin's room, and and the way that that happens, I mean, you can't fail. Uh, you'd have to. 
almost try to fail from what I remember yeah. because it gives you so many outs. Because like there's one side of the dialogue wheel like where, like you're just talking to to her over a table of drinks and it's like one side is like clearly like the the things that you know that she's interested in. The other one is let's talk about family or Justicars. <laughs> like what like one side is literally like I want to fail this mission and the other one is like let's let's do the, the sensible thing here. I think this might be a shortcoming of making a game that is so focused around combat, but mm-hmm. structuring a mission that doesn't necessarily utilize it so much. Like, and you know, it kind of goes back to what you're talking about with the the renegade and paragon options too. Is like whenever you introduce like a binary good guy bad guy move, mm-hmm. like it does limit you. And obviously, these are things created by humans, and they can't have infinite possibilities. Right. <laughs> but it really does kind of end up being like a fork in the road that's eventually going to merge back onto the road. <laughs> right. <for me. laughs> yeah. Like I, but like at the same time, I I kind of adore it when games do this kind of thing, and you you don't necessarily have to use the same tools constantly, mm-hmm. and and they try to kind of bring other systems up and use those instead. Mm-hmm. And right. I think this one does a. It's it's flawed, but I think it does a pretty decent and interesting job with it. Mm, for sure, for yeah. sure. For all the ways that we pick it apart, I, I think playing through these again and, and doing all this, the Norm DFM show and all that has definitely reminded me that while none of this was perfect, it's also something that you still don't see very often nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's like very, feels like very few studios ended up running with what Bioware set up. I mean, the closest through line i could see is what telltale was doing with the walking dead and things like that but well it's really um, bold you know if you think about it Mm because especially a game like this is mostly an action focused game so to have like an entire chunk that is kind of central to the overall success of the game itself like not structured around any combat in any way is very weird and kind of a radical move and because it's so sparse in this series, like I, I think they are kind of limited technically on what they can do. But again, like I, I think the ideas that they they present and the way that they go about doing this is still kind of interesting. Yeah. That said, it is kind of funny how it's just like, so let's talk about moms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't use that opener. That's how I always open conversations at bars. That I'm is that like, is the most seductive opener you can. <laughs> Let's talk about mothers, <laughs> specifically <laughs> yours. <laughs> yeah, look, she's right over there. <laughs> she's hanging right over. Say hi, wave. Um, so yeah, now that we have not screwed it up so catastrophically, uh, we head back to Morin's apartment, and pretty quickly the the jig is up, and Morin and Samara are in a standoff, and we get to make the oddest decision in Mass Effect. Because only real quick, we should actually rewind a little bit because I think this is another important thing to jump oh, off. Right, how right. this mission is like really slow weirdly down. structured. Slow me down. <laughs> okay, so you get there and like you're talking to her a little bit, and you have I think three charm and intimidate checks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to get all three, or the last one you can't do anything, and like your shepherd like succumbs to her, like, <laughs> and I'm. I'm like no. Which this, is your I, favorite thing, Ken? Is literally like, to the wilds. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you about it. So the thing is, like, I somehow, like, I said in my notes here. Somehow in this playthrough, it was the first time ever that I've been able to get all the intimidate checks, and so that was like always one of those things where it's like it's very telling about how Mass Effect views sexuality that it like. 
I, like I'm not saying there needed to be like an option, like a, like a fourth option on the dial where it says no, I'm gay, but like, I mean, if it, like, to be honest though, I mean, I would have fuck, I would have picked it, but it's like they railroad you so hard that they make it like if you haven't, if you have not been either a Boy Scout or just like the biggest asshole in the galaxy, you're probably gonna end up being railroaded into like a certain identity. Um, mm. And so, like again, that like from like through a whole spectrum of queerness, I feel like this mission is really problematic. And so, I have a question. Yeah. Like, up? I think this is all completely, totally valid. In mm. this context, for me, and like obviously, I am on the opposite end of you, <laughs> mm. where I am not interested in men. I am interested in women, so sure. Um, but like from from this, my read on it was just like this is kind of like a weird James Bondish like spy mission almost, mm. where it's like you have to go in and pretend to be something. Like, does that like did that did that like ever? Was that ever yeah. anything that like you kind of considered on it, or was it just mostly like I really don't like this because it's uncomfortable? Which again, well, completely valid. For me, it wasn't necessarily like, I and I get that to like the up to that last that very last dialogue point. Like I'm like okay, my shepherd's like pretending and that's cool, but like when it gets to that last one, like she her, her eyes go black, like they sorry do, and like you, you straight up can't deny her in any way at mm. that point, and because like. Like if you do all the if you do pass all the trauma and intimidate checks, you can say something like along the lines of like I'm not the victim you thought I was gonna be, and then Samara busts in and just you know ready to fuck some shit up. But mm. for this, it was like there's no way for me to like not succumb to this, where because like the entire like all the intimidate options there, you're kind of like she, she's you know being like saying all the stuff about how oh I feel like you and I are the same and we'd be so good together. I need this and. You, but like you're everything you're saying is sort of like you're you're like not up to my caliber you're not in my league um in terms of like willpower mm-hmm. and so like suddenly you succumb to it and you're suddenly you want this woman that you know is going to kill you and cuz like the only option you have there is literally i want you sure and so it's like yeah i totally i'm totally cool like up to that point i'm like it's pretending even though it's like annoying like she literally sits in my lap at one point um but, like, when it gets to that point where, like, the only way for you to not lose your character's identity is to be one extreme or the other, that's where I get, that's where it's a problem for me. Yeah, I, like, my read on it was that it was kind of weirdly supernatural, where it's, like, that, like, I think choice is kind of removed from some of that, because it's, like, she's literally just, like, a predator, but, like, with extra wiles that can kind of right. make you do things that you're not choosing to do. Right. Um, that said, I am also operating under the assumption that they don't treat straight relationships like a default, even though they totally do. And like being queer is kind of ancillary to it because it's like on the one hand, yeah, you can hook up with a same gendered person, but on the other, it's like okay, but that doesn't mean that it's good rep. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's like a minefield. Like I, again, like I think it's totally valid. It was just kind of it's an interesting point that I hadn't really considered. Mm. It's one of the areas I feel like we we constantly come back to with Mass Effect 2 in that it it tries to do so much with story, but then in other ways it kind of holds itself back that once we get to, especially now that I'm playing 3 and going back through some of that stuff as well, um, you kind of see how they grew a little bit in that respect and tried to do better by it. Um, Whereas here, you know, it's, it's really 
like like Ken was saying, when the only alternative, like the only it, it splits, it's basically you either pass a stat check or you have to succumb. Those are the only two options. Um, it, it does suddenly feel like it's it's cheapening it down to like a gameplay thing. And, yeah, totally. And and that sucks. <laughs> and that might go back to like those limitations that we kind of talked about earlier too, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe that dialogue right. system just isn't robust enough to handle a mission like this to the degree that it, you know, yeah. to the potential that it does have. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you can't branch yeah. off that much, have that many different like permutations that it could end in. Well, and I think um, to their credit, they sort of like by by the time they got to Mass Effect Three and they really tweaked the system to be more like 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 let you role play more. Mm-hmm. I think that's like that's where they got it right, and you know it was a game too late, but they they got it eventually. I think it's some, like that's where I commend them for. Yeah, totally. Well, and this is kind of where you get into that that weird place of it's kind of like for me, like I really like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but like mm-hmm. that game won like awards for its game inclusiveness, right. and I'm like, ah, like literally the... off the heels of like yeah. after. <laughs> like here's the thing is <laughs> like mm. just because there's a character that you can romance as both a man or a woman doesn't make this like a big celebratory event right. for like queer people or queer rap. like bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because, like, there's so much that's structured around that, and, like, queer relationships are not the same as straight relationships. And so, right. like, when it kind of treats them as they're interchangeable, like, that's not great. Mm. And so I, I think that's kind of a fault that the Mass Effect series has, too, where it's like, yeah, you can be queer, but it's mostly just in that they swap the skins of the people in the weird sex scenes. Right. That's sort uh, of like the Dragon Age 2 thing. Like, Oh, yeah. Because everyone in there is bi, so the relationships are exactly the same. And, you know, that's... Like, from a... Sort of, like, not limiting the player, that's that's great, but, like, from a writing standpoint, it's maybe not as interesting as the stuff they did in, like, Inquisition and Mass Effect 3 and Andromeda, where they had specifically gay or lesbian characters that they could write actual stories around. Right. Yeah, and, like, that's that, to me, is, like, a, a smarter way to approach it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's hard because, like, obviously, again, like, we don't know what the universe's stance is on these things, but we are approaching this from our own understanding in our own world. So if right. it's not clearly laid out for us, then we have to kind of go into it with our own assumptions. Mm-hmm. In which case, it just kind of becomes like, okay. <laughs> it's a little yeah. like choosing the color of my suit. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's not, yeah. not doesn't go much deeper than that, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Well, one choice that does make a significant difference in Mass Effect 2 is whether you have Samara or Morinth on your ship at the end of this mission. Literally, why? Like, why is this a choice? I don't know why. <laughs> I, like, who out there is picking... Who plays this whole mission and is like, okay. you know what? I want the, the dangerous succubus who's going to kill me if I, like, breathe her breath on the ship. I will... This, this is a good idea. Before we get into, like, just this absolute ridiculousness of the fact that this is even a choice. <laughs> I will give them a little bit of leeway. So, as the Renegade player, I can I can speak to the fact that throughout the like the relationship with Samara, if you are Renegade, like, if you, if you got more red than blue on the pause screen, Samara actively says that she might kill you after this is over. So I will give them yeah. that, th- like, if, if as a Renegade Shepard you think that you might have, like, a better chance at living with a succubus versus this person who has expressed intent to kill you where 
as, as far as I understand it, an Asari can't mind meld you, with you without, like, consent. So maybe, like, you think that you have a better chance of <laughs> being alive with Morinth. So, like, I will give them that, like, charitable read on the situation. But, but also, also, what the fuck? The devil you know over the devil you don't. <laughs> like, Literally, like, yeah. I... Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bizarre <laughs> choice. I, I can't imagine it exists for any other, like, major reason than to just be like, hey, this is a cool choice that you can... Because I can't imagine a large amount of players even made this choice. And even if they did, I can't imagine it was for anything other than novelty. Like, I can't imagine can... someone role-playing would be like, I'm going to choose this. Because even if and you're you also... a complete jerk of a chef, like, right. come on. <laughs> like, and you also, like, just for the record, you can't access the choice itself unless you pass all the, the charm and intimidate checks when you're talking to Morinth, so... Hmm. Right. I don't... Is there... Does it... How drastically does it change the game if you do choose Morinth over Samara? So, she... Im, like, she imitates Samara throughout the entire game, so, like, the only instance that you, like... Well, there, okay, there, there are two things. She has a special ability that nobody else in the game has called mm-hmm. Dominate, which is, like, the... Um, human or the organic equivalent of AI hacking so like you can yeah so like from a gameplay standpoint that exists in there but um the only like if you go talk to her in Samara's room she like speaks like herself and you can have actual conversations um but like nobody else on the ship knows that it's her so like everyone still calls her Samara and like she speaks in Samara's voice in cutscenes and creepy so it basically doesn't fucking matter then right Okay. And so, another thing I'm going to point out, and I, I guess this is the only other time we're ever talk about Morinth, so like, it's, this is fine to bring this up. If she survives to Mass Effect 3, she literally just becomes a banshee. And, like, you, like, a named right. enemy in the yeah. game. Yeah. And so, like, there's no carryover there anyway. So, I. So I, I that probably speaks to like the amount of people that actually did that because like I imagine it had to be like less than one percent if they yeah. if that's the route they took with it to like write it off in this totally like arbitrary way. That's so weird. I, like I wonder if the better choice would be whether or not to kill Morant in general. Yeah, if you could like find a way to send her to the monastery or like imprison her there or something like that. If that could have been a choice instead. Yeah, like whether or not she gets redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for, like from because Samara's been going after her for like four hundred years at this point. She's like done like I don't know if there's redemption for a person like Morin because like she even talks about how like she made an entire village into her sex cult that like yeah. like people sacrificed their children to her. Well, hey, was... nobody else in this game has possibly had that exact situation come up, you know. <laughs> 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 Oh, yeah, that's a fair yeah. point. I, yeah, I, like I guess maybe a little bit of rewriting where you do kind of play at more of the sympathetic angles of Morinth, maybe or something mm. like that would make more sense. But yeah, just being like a no, she's the evil one, kill her. It's just kind of yeah. a weird. Like, what right? if Morinth turned into Samara and they did that whole no, I'm the real Samara. No, I'm Honestly, the real Samara. <laughs> that would be dope. We don't see. There's not. An, I haven't seen enough of those recently, and I really miss those very stupid things. <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, yeah. So, final note here on Samara. Um, I'll, I'll just go first and just saying that I was somebody who came into this game 
having no real attachment to this character i always felt she was kind of tertiary to my overall playthrough of mass effect um i never really used her in my squad i never really uh i just kind of saw like oh i need to get her loyalty because she's the one that makes the bubble at the end of the game and i need that to to be good so um going into this especially like as i said the framing of playing it as um as a lady ship and and going through that angle but also i think just the fact that i'm much older and have had more life experience now since i last played mass effect all the way through um samara ended up being one of the more interesting and special characters uh that i was really like i wish they had done more in the series with her because it's like jack and another character we're going to talk about here in a moment though he definitely gets a lot more time to shine um later on uh they were characters who kind of got put into the background that i was like no they feel as memorable as characters from mass effect one did and they kind of developed their own persona and i really wish there had been more done with samara other than kind of the the nod that she gets as as the series goes on so maybe that's that's my biggest takeaway from samara mass effect 2 is that this feels like a lot of awesome stuff that i wish had been better followed up on later but uh cash she also was just like a more interesting look at the Asari. Like because mm-hmm. prior right. to this, your your exposure to them was um I'm drawing a blank. What's her name? Liara. Liara. Yeah, dang it. Yeah. There's so many <laughs> uh, you know, aside from like Liara and like Matriarch Venezia, like right. that was kind of your exposure to Asari at that point. And then you meet Arya, and then you meet, you know, you have Tamara and then you have Morinth. And like at this point in time, you you kind of see a wider spectrum. Right, but it never gets deeper. Like I wish they would have done more with mm. Samara's attachment to her kids. Like specifically because, like, you know, like you, like you say, Ken, like they're all women. They all have boobs. Like, come on. Like it's it's just like an, a race of women. So right. it, like you could investigate like really interesting dynamics between those characters and things mm. that maybe you know they could be stand-ins for like mother-daughter relationships and how right. those can form and take shape and develop um but what we do get of her is really interesting i was i was kind of the same where i didn't really use her a whole lot outside of this just because i felt like it wasn't even that she was tertiary it was just like i i i just felt like like you've got your own mission honey and that's great and i'll support you through that but like i just don't <laughs> You're not really essential to me. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but no, I, I, I agree with that. I would have liked to have seen more of her. Ken, any last thoughts on Samara? Send her off. I just think, like, with, like we said, that she, she, well, in Mass Effect 1, we were talking about how, like, Liara, for all the posturing she did of, like, how sorry these very cultured people, the majority of what we see have seen up to this, them at this point is sort of like the strippers like the sort of like manipulators the mm-hmm. not like this cultured side of them it, it was it's strange that it's like that's sort of like the touchstone of this these people that we just didn't see for what is what roughly accounts to like half of the trilogy because we get samara like halfway through mass effect 2 and so like we get it it's just surprising to me that it took us that long to find a character that sort of embodied that and I think, despite the fact that we, like, as we said in the show, I think a lot of the stuff that it, like, sort of like the implications of her mission are kind of gross, and they don't really sit well with me. I think as a character, Samara 
is one of the only really great examples we get of this, this sort of like this wise cultured uh, species in this galaxy where they're supposedly on top. Like they are supposed to be the ones that are like the most advanced, the most uh, like just have the most like sort of wisdom and information about just like the galaxy at large. So it's it, again, it is sad to me that like you said that she kind of seems fairly tertiary in the grand scheme of things when she is sort of like the face of that throughout the trilogy at least yeah Samara she's great we wanted more of her come on Bioware that's all we wanted but (laughs) we're gonna move on now to someone we do get a lot of um Mm. the one the only Thane the the Drell that stole all our hearts um Cass what is it about Thane that that you like so I adore Garrus. I think he's great. I think he's very suave, and I think he's a very, very good boy. Thane is basically if you took Garrus and you melded him with like the Dosakis man. He's <laughs> he is extremely smooth and suave and very cultured, and like there is like a very refined nature to Thane, and I really like him because he's kind of that like. Like, if I have a soft spot for any type of dudes, it's, like, troubled dudes who are seeking redemption mm-hmm. because they know that they fucked up big time. And that's that's kind of what Thane is. Um, and, like, his whole story, too, of being, like, termini- terminally ill is just, like, adds a whole other layer of just this dude is trying to make right before he, you know, exits this mortal coil, basically. Um, and his his whole loyalty mission, too, with, like, his son, where he's like, I don't want him to have this life, too, like, is just very compelling. Um, especially because he's so good at what right. he does, and he's so hands-on with it. And, yeah, like, I, I just, I think Thane's a really weird, interesting kind of evolution of, like, Garrus's character archetype. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, he. I'm just realizing, like, when I was kind of looking up old notes about Thane and stuff, that he looks like the character, or the creature from Shape of Water. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guillermo del Toro that, was playing Aspect too, and he's like, "I got an idea." <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Makes um, you think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I just really like Thane. I think he's fascinating. He really does embody that like tonal shift, I think, from Mass Effect one to two in the way that they write characters, more, like more than anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. That Thane is this—he's very complex. He's very—he's got a lot of history, and also he's kind of not upfront about it, like some other characters are, um, like Garrus, who's basically like Shepard. Let me kill criminals. I want to go do this. Come on, let me mm-hmm. do it. Whereas Thane is just like I'm. I'm here to do my mission. If you'd like to help me out, my my son's in trouble, but I will do what needs to be done. And yeah, he's he's great. Like the writing mm-hmm. that went into Thane is is so good, and some of the best parts of Mass Effect that I still kick myself now for not having gone through as much uh when i played it earlier these these two characters specifically i really enjoyed it because these were the characters that going into this playthrough i was like oh yeah those two that i never brought along on missions and never really cared much about besides getting their loyalty missions and then by the by the time i finished mass effect 2 they were at the top of my list for i want to talk about them i want to do these episodes right now because there's so much going on here that i had missed in the past Mm -hmm. um but this this whole so Thane's loyalty mission, 
uh, he is terminally terminally ill, and he wants to make good with his son, who he has found out has uh, picked up the gun and wants to be an assassin like dear old dad. Uh, and and right off the bat, it really kind of sets up this thing that he Kolyat is imitating Thane, but also rebelling against him by doing so. Um, where whereas with Samara and Morinth, we had this really interesting mother daughter dynamic now we have this really interesting father-son dynamic um and the struggle between the two um and it's it's so good (laughs) we get to play cop drama here at the beginning which ken loves because ken just beat everybody up i'm I'm reading your notes you're just like yep i punched everybody (laughs) beat him up was interrogating a dude decided to just beat the crap out of him just gotta get stuff i mean that renegade that renegade in comes up you bet it <laughs> slap that right trigger but um oh god this this is like a fun mission because you get to do some of the some of what i i feel i wanted more of in mass effect all the time was the citadel cop drama the crime drama because so often you're doing things that are more star trekky where you're going to remote planets and you're fighting aliens and you're doing all this weird stuff but always i was really interested in the parts where it's oh here's some intrigue and some drama we're going to uncover this conspiracy and stuff like that and i think i enjoyed this mission a lot more for that so ken i want to hear what you thought of this whole cop drama escapade so in retrospect i do feel like i maybe took sort of like a so like the game mass effect 2 unlike other Games, well, unlike Mass Effect 3 specifically, operates mostly on extremes, and it was one of the points where, like, being Commander Shepard felt like I had, like, as a Spectre, you have, like, a lot of power, and so, like, to be in sort of, like, this cop scenario feels a little bloated, especially when I was taking the more renegade options, which typically were violent approaches to people that probably didn't deserve it. Like, my first note here is that, um, we talked to Mouse, who is this guy that apparently was, like, sort of an informant for Thane when he worked in the Citadel. And, like, uh, Thane started... In my defense, Thane started it. Like, he grabs him by the collar and is like, we need information. And here I am, like, there's a brain get interrupt, and so I'm, like, taking this information by force. And, like, it is one of those points where, like, yeah, I played Renegade, but that was probably not... Like, in the event that I had, like... I wasn't bound by the chains of, like, the way that this game operates. I probably wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have, like, wanted to, like, immediately jump to violence as my first go-to. Um, so, I don't know, like, from from the standpoint of that, like, the it feels, like, again, it just feels very loaded with, like, connotations of, like, police violence. Like, well, you're not technically a cop, but, like, you kind of are. Like, it's that's what your role ultimately is. Mm-hmm. Your I never really, I never really got that read. I think that's interesting. I, like, for me, like, I, I think assassins are kind of cool. <laughs> so anytime they show up in any sort of fiction, I'm always like, mm, mm. let's hang out with them. And so, like, <laughs> especially because Thane, I just thought I found him to be such a compelling and interesting character that I was like, mm. yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. You're sick. You, you know, you want your son to do better than this. Like, yeah, why not? Um, so, like, I think my own personal connection helped me kind of justify my own actions, which mm. I I don't know if I ever played hard one way or the other, but I did tend to go Renegade just because, mm-hmm. I don't know, I like punching things. Um, Fair. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I never really read it as a cop. For me, it was more, like, vigilante. 
I guess. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Fair. yeah. I read it more because like, you just want to have fun. <laughs> you just yeah. want to do the fun <laughs> stuff. <laughs> there, well, like even then, there's like a a later, like more so than the mouse one specifically. There's this guy, um, Elias Kellum. Or no, no, no. That's yeah, yeah. That's the name. Okay. Who is this? He's this rich dude on the Citadel that like you literally restrain, and. So uh, this was an, another thing with like the charm intimidation checks. I didn't clear the first one, which lets you literally just like put a gun to his head and like, hey, give us the information, and then you get like you you get exactly what you came for. Mm-hmm. So like, I had to basically beat up this dude who was restrained, and it again, it's just like I get that I'm I'm Commander Shepard. I I know like I know in my heart of hearts this is really important, and this is like you know however many degrees removed from me stopping the collectors. But still, it's just like from a, like an isolated view, a lot of this, these scenes are kind of weird. Just I don't know. And, and again, it's like one of the things I don't know that I would have taken the the path that I did if I didn't feel so obligated to it, just by the way that Mass Effect Two's morality system works. Yeah. Well, there's also the the idea of like how you role play these games too. You mm-hmm. know, is it more of an escapism thing? Like for me, I just kind of fall into that character and. Like, yeah. I find it very easy to do that. You know, if it's more, if you play, tend to play a little bit more detached than that, maybe that will affect it, too. Yeah, because, like, that's, that's the thing. Is like, for me, this is, like, me in a video game universe. So, like, I'm trying to represent myself as best I can, as much as the mm-hmm. game will let me. So, like, to me, like, my Shepard's actions do kind of speak to, like, what would what do I want to do in this situation? What would I do if I was in the situation? So, like, when when I do feel that disconnect, it kind of becomes more jarring than it would in any other game. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of brings an interesting question, too, because, like, I, anytime I play D&D or, like, any kind of tabletop game, I usually end up being, like, ten times more of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know Fair. why that is. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just it's, it's more fun that way. Like, I, I tend to play more, like, chaotic neutral than I do mm-hmm. anything else, where I'm just, like, I'm only in this for myself. Um... <laughs> When it comes to games, I feel like you're guided a little bit more. Like, a lot of games are like, you can play however you want, but there's you're still kind of shepherded in one way or the other, depending right. on what kind of outcome you want. So, like, maybe that's a part of it, too. It's, just, it's not, you know, it goes back to that binary of, like, you really don't... It's kind of an illusion of freedom, mm-hmm. where you get lots of choice, but that doesn't equate with freedom. <laughs> yeah. Right. At, at some point, a level designer and a, a writer and all that had to come together and say, these are the set things that will happen and they will occur like this. So compared to like a role-playing game where you can have those elements of imagination and group um, story writing come together to really give you the options to do things the way you would want to with a game, you're, you're going to be written into something at some point. The things that you do have already been imagined and created. So the odds that you are going to imagine and create the same thing, it's going to line up perfectly with how you want to play that character aren't always very high well and like there's there's limits to that as well right like if you want to play a renegade like that's cool but you're basically just playing like good cop bad cop (laughs) where you're still a good person because you're still doing a good thing like you can't you cannot play mass effect pure evil and by evil i mean like the D &D alignment of evil where it's more just like selfish like you can't you can't really do that like it's it's you're still going to be the hero at the end of it it's just kind of whether or not you make friends along the way right Mm mm-hmm for sure. 
Well, once we get through all that, after you monsters are done beating up people in interrogation <laughs> rooms, meanwhile, I'm just talking it out of them as the proper Listen, paragon chef I am. There's there's a lot on the line here. Yeah. yeah. But we don't have to lose our humanity in the process. Come on now. <laughs> Maybe um, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get to eventually do this um, this weird follow mission that is... This this is one of the more bizarre parts of Mass Effect 2 for me because I was like, wow, they found a way to put a tailing mission, like, retroact, obviously, like, this happened all later in, in the console's lifetime, but this is a tailing mission from Assassin's Creed, but it's in Mass Effect, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. following around. Uh, the, I mean, did you ever fail this part? Have you ever... I, I don't think it game-overs you. I think it just bounces you back to a checkpoint or something like that. No, no, but... you, you straight up don't get Thane's loyalty. Oh. It's, it's a fail. Yeah. Oh. See, I, I literally... Every time I've played it, I've never had an issue with doing the things that it wanted me to do, so I'd never seen what the fail state for this is like. I... Huh. The very, very, very first time I ever did it, and this is, I mainly attributed this because like, this was 2010 and I didn't have an HDTV at the time. <laughs> I couldn't, like, I couldn't see him at one point, and that's how I knew that, like, you could have this sort of, like, it's not even a fail state, because, I mean, I guess it's a technically fail state, but it's not a game over, um, so, yeah, so immediately <laughs> went back at checkpoint from that, but, uh, so yeah, I, uh, just one time. I mean, I remember that, because, like, you were climbing around in the rafters at certain points, and, like, yeah, you could lose him. Yeah. There, there were definitely moments from that. There's a, there's a point where he straight up books it like yeah i was like true. i don't know what you're running from my dude did you see me I don't... Mm-hmm. for a bunch of renegades y'all are really bad at doing the crimes and illegal things come on this is easy <laughs> <laughs> um, renegades can't see <laughs> well, it's just maybe it's just frowned upon <laughs> <laughs> um, so we we get to the end here and and Kolyat's got his um his target in his sights and we've got we haven't really talked much about Talid, who is this his target, who is this very anti-human uh, person running for the council. And and can so you have gonna, a funny note here about this? Well, I was going to ask, like, is he anti-human? Even because like he, it's framed as he did it because like I like the council died in Mass Effect One, which is obviously the renegade choice. So is he is is he? Running on the same stuff. Basically, he just doesn't have any lines about that that are like, "Oh, the, the council's all humans" and stuff like that. Um, he, that's just his platform. That's just him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I was I was interested by that, but then we have the option. I mean, is this really an option? Is basically you just pass like a check or not? I've I've always done the paragon option of shooting the lamp. So I've ne- you can't. Okay, you can shoot him. Just be really? like, like, I'm gonna kill him so you can't. Is basically the way that it goes because like, he is technically like a racist criminal that does things. So, like that's sort of like the oh, I thought you meant I thought you meant Colyot that you could shoot no, Colyot. Yeah, and I was like, like oh, sorry, Thane. Did you want to talk to him first? My bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can shoot. Um, what the fuck? The, is to lead. To lead. Yeah, Khaled. you can. That that guy. <laughs> so, if you want to, if that is for some reason the way you would want to do it, but I, I shot the lamp to like distract Koliat, get him out of there, mm-hmm. and like maybe that makes him not so much a racist. Like, does it run on anti-human platforms because a human saved him? 
that worked really so, well in x-men too when a mutant attacked the president he was definitely really cool with mutants after that <laughs> definitely worked out really well <laughs> turns out uh, the best way to change bigots is to just help them because reason changes them because bigotry is point. based on reason <laughs> fair point um and and then we kind of have our little bit here with Bailey, where Bailey really does put up with Shepard's bullshit like all the time. Bailey is is maybe not good at his job, but he is a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> kind of overlooks a lot here. <laughs> no, um, attempted assassination of a political candidate turns into community service on the Citadel. That's that's pretty nice. <laughs> um, so I guess just to close it off with thoughts here about about thane uh we can go to to cast first but i just want to hear like what your take was on on thane from i mean we already talked a little bit about why you like thane but especially like his his portrayal in mass effect 2 and and what he becomes in the series as it goes on yeah i mean like i just think thane is a really kind of he's like an interesting deconstruction of like that idea of like the moral hitman right Mm. um and like that's that that gets into like weird territory because he obviously feels remorse for the stuff that he does but he's still like he's kind of a spiritual guy so he's still praised for success with it and he feels this connection yeah so it's like he has a very strange sense of morality but at the same time like i totally trusted that dude like Mm -hmm. he he was kind of different for me than samara where where i'm sorry samara um (laughs) Like, wherein I felt like she was a little bit more out for herself and for her own interests, like, I didn't feel that much with right. Thane. Like, he, he actually felt like he was kind of in on what I was doing, and he supported that cause, and, and I could rely on him to a degree. And I think that mm-hmm. kind of just goes back to his own code of ethics that he adheres to. Like, weird as it is, like, he is kind of a moral person in his own weird kind of contrived way and i sort mm. of respect that more than i did like you know a wild card like jack or right. you know some some are to a degree too i think he's this really interesting representation of um the thing that we have talked about in every loyalty mission uh leading up to now two things really one that every loyalty mission is about this crew member settling their affairs you know something mm-hmm. that they might die on this mission and this is something that they will feel better about knowing that this is taken care of in some way and for some people like miranda that's making sure that all their affairs in order and her sister is safe and all that for other people it's getting closure on different parts of their life but it feels like for thane especially it becomes something that he he isn't closing a door he's opening one he's he has something that he as much wants to continue living for after the suicide mission uh, as he wants to like have the closure on. And I think that just gives him this different um, light that just makes him so memorable that he is this character that where everybody else, you know, we talked about Samara's mission. It's a very bittersweet ending because Samara basically sits down at the end of it and she's like, I killed my daughter and Mm -hmm. I've been trying to do it for 400 years and it's done. And now I have to, cope with the fact that it is a i've done the deed now and it's finished and it's over um 
for but for Thane, it was for a long time his regret was how he had left Kulyat behind and how he had not been there for Kulyat. And now he can be, and that possibility exists for whatever time he has left. And mm-hmm. th- I think that's just a really, it's a more interesting thing. I, we get into it with some other loyalty missions as well that some of these characters aren't necessarily finding things that they're okay with, that that they're being okay with dying now, but they actually want to live now, and maybe that's what compels them to survive the suicide mission. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the way that Thane's mission ended, especially in contrast with Samara's. It was really um, beautiful alignment of the stars that we had these two on the same episode, because I think <laughs> it's it's two very interesting uh, takes on similar themes, and, and the way that they end is so different that it's it's very interesting i really enjoyed it so mm-hmm. uh right. ken what about you tell how do you feel about thane my to jump off the point about sort of like the settling of affairs etc um the thing with thane specifically because he is terminally ill like it feels like the stakes of everything like everything in his little mission is higher because like from like a meta perspective you know that it's possible to get everybody out of the suicide mission but it's like regardless of whether thane gets out of the suicide mission you do know that his end is coming so like to me there's like a greater weight because like you know you, you can approach anybody else's loyalty mission like even if you like we can go on the suicide mission but you're if i know how to get you out this can still be done whereas with thane it's like you, no you should you need to do this because even if you even if you get out of the omega-4 relay you don't have much longer to go like these things are more important like the sort of like the the window is closing for this for this man to like really start putting his life back together for whatever time he has left. And so that has always just been what sticks out to me about Thane, is that I can save him from this suicide mission, but it doesn't, like, how much how much more time have I given him anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. That probably speaks to why he's a lot more reflective on things, too. Because yeah. he knows mm-hmm. that his, he's, he's kind of a doomed character, so, like, mm-hmm. therefore that's going to massively impact the way that he interacts with people and how he sees himself and how he kind of looks back on everything he's done, which gives us some of his best moments, honestly. Mm. He agrees. Damn it. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something that we actually heard of me we didn't talk about for either of these characters is the romance aspect, which... Yes, um, I have... I did my research, um, as at least as far as Thane goes, because... Um, Samara's romance is really just like a tease for most of the series. Yeah. Like, you mm. get kind of a, a toss away line here at the end of her loyalty mission. Doesn't she kind of do the Jedi thing where she's like, it's forbidden for a yeah, or whatever? Yeah. And then you can get a little like extra thing in Citadel, I think. Um, I've not okay. played yeah, Citadel yet. So. so, my thing is. In a world where Kelly Chambers exists as this woman that Shepard can have no matter what, what I really like about Samara is that she is this woman that Shepard cannot have no matter what. And mm-hmm. then, like, because, like, Mass Effect, as we talked about on various episodes of the show, views romance and sex as, like, this pinnacle of everything that it can possibly offer the player. Yeah. So, it's, what it's I love about Samara. Yeah. 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 What I love about Samara is that she's just like, no, I don't care that you're Commander Shepard. This isn't what I want. This isn't who I am. Um, which kind of makes the whole Citadel thing, I feel like, a really, like, devaluing of that, like, the statement that that makes mm-hmm. in the face of, like, this, this this harem of a ship that, like, 
all these people that you're like because like by the time you get to Mass Effect 3 you can have a romance with just about everybody that's on that ship to some extent I will um, no longer put up with this this shaming of Kelly Chambers like <laughs> oh, oh are we getting into it <laughs> Ken no, hates I, Kelly Chambers. That girl has nothing so to do. What else is she supposed to do? They gave her nothing. She just thinks. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, she's not. She's like a nothing character. But <laughs> exactly. I just think it's kind of funny. Like her job is just to be like, hey, you've got an email. <laughs> like she's literally just like the AOL guy from like the nineties. <laughs> you've got mail. Exactly. But like she's you can clipping. you can fuck him. <laughs> Finally, oh, good Lord. finally, somebody <laughs> letting me fuck Clippy. God, all these years. Uh, <laughs> Clippy Chambers! Um, but, yeah, Ken, you make a, a good point there that, um, I, you know, I, I've, I think I talked about it on here before, but the reason, one of the reasons I like Dragon Age Inquisition so much is that I went into it not knowing what the different romance options were, and so I played a dude inquisitor and i was like oh sarah's awesome she's cool i'm gonna hang out with her all the time and she just straight up is like nope barking up the wrong tree there buddy (laughs) and (laughs) at first i was like oh that sucks this is this is awful i like i put so much time into getting to know this character and stuff and oh this is how ken felt playing mass effect for so long (laughs) 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 so um yeah um have it, maybe having that moment is cool but yeah like you said later on when the citadel stuff comes around and citadel is again i have not played it yet i am saving my first playthrough for this this podcast and i'm trying to go in as blind as possible but um from what i understand it is primarily a fan service sort of thing it's definitely there mm-hmm. to cater to a lot of the community and and the love for all these characters and them hanging around and doing pal stuff and all that um so maybe those those things are just at odds with each other like giving people that kind of closure they want to feel like oh you know maybe in another lifetime or something like that but um it does end up taking away that interesting nuance that that wrinkle that you could have had otherwise um but the thane romance ooh, steamy yeah <laughs> um, Listen, it's just again, it's just you're just living out shape of water. Like the more I literally. think about this, but, but <laughs> as as Cass brought up earlier, like he does have all that stuff. He's cool, Garrus. He is terminally ill. He is a father trying to reconcile things with his son. It feels like if you take all, you know, you think of all the lately in Hollywood, all the dudes that have the the sexy roles and stuff, and you combine them into one character and then made them the character look like the character from Shape of Water, that's what mm-hmm. Thane is. Like Yeah, he's like he's <laughs> kinda Nicholas Sparks meets Guillermo del Toro and I start I'm I kinda into it. Mm-hmm. It, it works. <laughs> I just like Thane. I think Thane's really cute and I I have I have a special place in my heart for him. But there are just a handful of dude characters that I'm like, alright, yeah, yeah, you know what? Sure. Why not? <laughs> and he's 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 kinda one of them and I, I just I appreciate him. I, I do think that like going back to when we talked about the like the Jack romance versus basically every other romance in the game, I feel like Thane is more kind of on par with her and just that like it feels more meaningful in like the actual relationship feels more meaningful to both involved where mm-hmm. like Garrus is literally like well we might die let's let's just do this and see what happens um so cause like he goes in and he's like having like the only sort of vulnerability he seems to ever have in these games is like he's like I'm 
I'm gonna die, and like that scares me. And like he's like you never get that nuance if you don't get into the romance with him. And I think that's that's one of the few instances where like sort of like the walling off of information and dialogue really like, sells the importance of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So like even though some things happen in Mass Effect Three that we'll get into when we get there, I feel like from like an isolated standpoint, Thane's romance is one of the only two in this game that I feel is like really good and like really memorable on its own on its own terms. I'd I'd make that three because I think you're not counting one that technically doesn't exist in the base game but exists in a DLC that is very very good that we will talk about in an episode soon. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, Thane is definitely like, we, we talked in the Morden episode a lot about, about the characters that kind of broke out from Mass Effect 2 and became much larger than just being from the game they were contained in, uh, compared to some of the Mm -hmm. other crewmates. And alongside Morden, I would say that Thane is definitely one of those characters that he Mm -hmm. just immediately people like grabbed onto him as a character and what he was bringing to the series. And he was definitely this embodiment of a, a shift in tone as well. He was much darker. He was uh, more complicated, more nuanced, less um, less Star Trek-y. <laughs> That's what I always think of when it comes to Mass Effect 1 is I'm like, this is a Star Trek video game. Yeah. Um, but yes. Well... That's going to do it today, but I think we've got one more thing. Ken's got to put cast through our patented lightning round questions. We, we're it. still waiting on that trademark. It's, it's not coming. Drum roll. No, I actually am not going to do a drum roll. There might be feedback, and I'd have to edit it out later. <laughs> All right. Ready? Let's do it. All right. Who'd you romance? Uh, Ashley. Oh, damn. Okay. Ooh. All right. No, actually, that, that's a hot, That is a hot take here on Normandy <laughs> Evans. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you lose anybody on the suicide mission? Oh yeah, I lost. I lost many people. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you take that save over, or did you like go back? No, nah, and... man. I I I made my bed. I laid in it. You know, I respect the fuck out of that. That is <laughs> that's good. Um, what did you do with the collector base? Uh, remind me which what happened there. You either destroy it, you keep it. Oh. Oh, I destroyed it. Mm, okay. No, fuck the okay. collectors. I hate those dudes. They're disgusting. Fair point. Fair point. Beetle ass motherfuckers. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> destroyed oh, that man. collector base and Zaid, I'm assuming, along with it, because who else are you yeah. going to leave behind on that thing? Yeah. <laughs> that talking piece of leather. Um. <laughs> Well, that'll do it today for, for Norm DFM. Cass, it was so much fun having you on. We're so glad yes. this happened. Oh, thanks. It was a pleasure to be here. Uh, when we get around to Mass Effect 3, um, Ken and I have some secret devious plans in the works. We won't broadcast them yet, but I'm really looking forward to it because Ken sent me a DM the other night. I mean, different from all the other DMs he sends me all the time, but <laughs> um, sent me a DM the other night with a really good idea. We're really looking forward to putting it together for y'all, but that's way off in the distance for now. Um, we just have to say next week, I believe, is only Tali, correct? Is I think we're just wrapping up the loyalty missions next week. You should probably look at the schedule again because that is absolutely not correct. What? You Okay, it keeps changing, and I'm going to bring this up now so I can air this out for our listeners and cast and for everyone, is that this schedule changes all the time, and yet I get, it does not. I get judged. Okay, well, it's changed like <laughs> twice, and that's a lot for me to handle. <laughs> all right? Um, 
I'm pulling up my pinned items here now to to double check. It says, oh right, we do have one other magical uh, character who I forgot is in Mass Effect Two. This is why Ken is here. He keeps me honest. <laughs> um, next week will be Tally and Legion. The loyalty. It literally will not. It what? will not be that. What? Okay, I look too far down. Okay. <laughs> You're throwing me Good off. Good lord. Things have changed too much on the schedule. I know that they have. I'm holding this against you. Next week will the be... The dates are literally the... next to it. Okay, but this is wrong. I know it's wrong. So we're going to talk not. about this later. But next week is the Collectorship and the Reaper IFF. Am I right now? There you go. <laughs> so we're taking a break from loyalty missions to go do something else. We got to go take care of some stuff. We got to pick up uh, one last friend on along the way. And then... Um, We'll, we'll be getting into the end game here pretty soon, so mm-hmm. that's getting that too. that's getting exciting. But yes, the <clears throat> oh god, I held my coughs in all podcasts, and now you have me bringing them back with your bad schedules. Um, it, it is so <laughs> concise and, and and legible. Well, we're gonna pick up. We're gonna go to the collectorship, and we're gonna check out that Reaper IFF, and we'll do some shady things, and we're gonna be really mad at President Bartlett for sending us to bad places. So, <laughs> until next time, thank you, Cass, for joining us. Thank you, Ken, for keeping me on schedule and understanding how this works. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Until next time, on Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy FM.